Niagara Falls to Nassau County, from the St. Lawrence Seaway to South Beach, and right here in the borough of Brooklyn, it's 5 p.m. in the five boroughs and across the Empire State, and so it's time for Max and Murphy, your interview and call-in show on the politics, policies, and people of New York City and New York State. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. Hey, this is Ben Max from GothamGazette.com. Jarrett, good to see you. You too, Bren. We are getting close. We're down to, what, 30, fewer than that. Yeah, we're at like 27 days. uh, Yesterday was four weeks until Election Day, November 6th. Everybody should have that marked on their calendar, of course. And uh, as we indicated last week, you're running out of time to register to vote if you want to vote in this year's elections. This Friday is the last date to do so. Find a local Board of Elections chapter or fill out a form online and get it sent in. Uh, You got until this Friday to register to vote for, for November 6th. Or to change your party affiliation to vote in next year's party primaries. If you're an unaffiliated voter or you're with a party, but you want to switch to another party, if you want to be able to vote in next year's primaries in a certain party, you got to change that by Friday as well. So important deadlines coming and important elections ahead. And uh, Ben, as we close in on election day, I think some of the storylines, which is what reporters like you and me often refer to this as, are coming into view. Uh, Nationally, the Brent Kavanaugh hearings have shaken up uh, the race seemingly, uh, have changed what was expected to be a uh, a blue wave into potentially clashing blue and red waves, depending on the district that you're talking about. And uh, here in New York, the story, I think, of the week this week is just how little financial firepower Mark Molinaro, our recent guest on the show, has in his what was always going to be uphill battle against uh, Andrew Cuomo. Right. The race for governor is shaping up to be like what many thought it would be, which is not apparently that competitive. However, I do think that there was an assumption that Molinaro would be better funded than he's been. And that's a little bit strange to see the Republican candidate for governor against Andrew Cuomo, who's had lots of scandals, lots of issues, problems uh, from corruption within his inner circle to the failing subway system and and other things, alongside some clear accomplishments, of course. Um, The the idea that there wouldn't be a, a strong challenge to him from the right would be a little bit surprising. I think Molinaro, as folks who maybe heard him on this show have seen is is a good candidate in certain ways. Um, this is not somebody who's flopped on the on the big stage by any means, but the inability to raise funds is perhaps indicative of the fact that people see Cuomo as so difficult to beat. Correct. And just for folks who haven't seen the reporting on this, the, the numbers appear to be the governor with about nine million uh, in the bank to spend, according to his most recent filings to uh, Molinaro's uh, two hundred thousand or so, which is a remarkably low amount for a statewide campaign. And we were talking before the show, Ben, about all the ways for people who don't practice politics or cover it, all the ways that affects a campaign. It's not just about not getting on the air with ads. It's about not even being able to um, get out and and see people at events, to travel around, to develop uh, the policies you want to, in part because you're always on the phone raising money just to keep the lights on. Right. You want to be able to hire campaign staff, as you said, maybe hire consultants to help you craft thoughtful policy. There's all sorts of ways. But one of the biggest things in New York in a state this big and vast is also getting up on the airwaves with ads. Now, Molinaro, like coming on with us, has done a steady stream of TV and radio appearances and podcasts and things like that. But that doesn't always make up for having your own ads that are playing regularly like we saw Andrew Cuomo do in the primary. You also might have heard on this program, Rebecca Katz, the top advisor to Cynthia Nixon, talk about how their 
limited funding. They spent about two and a half million dollars in the primary to Cuomo's 20 plus million, maybe 25 ish um, hurt them. And others have pointed out that the money, especially when you have the other advantages of incumbency that Governor Cuomo has, the money can make a, a pretty significant difference. We should mention, of course, there's three other candidates running for governor. One of those candidates will be our guest in the second segment of today's show. That's Larry Sharp, the Libertarian nominee for governor. You'll hear from Mr. Sharp coming up later in the program. There's also Stephanie Miner and Howie Hawkins, who have appeared a couple weeks ago on this program. You can find those episodes uh, in your Maxim Murphy podcast streams or on our respective websites. So these candidates for governor are running campaigns. They're putting out policy. They're making appearances. They're struggling to break through, though. And we'll ask Mr. Sharp about his approach to that, of course, later today. And earlier today, we'll hear about another interesting statewide race when we've been covering here uh, quite in depth, talking to all the candidates before the Democratic primary. And uh, now we'll be speaking to, actually, as we speak, the Republican candidate for Attorney General of the State of New York, Mr. Keith Wofford. Uh, welcome to Max and Murphy on WBAI. Hey, it's great to be here. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette alongside Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. Good to finally have a chance to talk with you. For folks who are less familiar with you, um, do you want to take a few seconds to introduce yourself, who you are, where you come from? You know, we'll get into your campaign a little bit, but but more personally in your life experience, work experience, uh, who are you? Well, I, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, in a working class neighborhood called the east side of Buffalo. And my my dad worked at the Chevy plant uh, in Buffalo for 32 years. You know, they'll getting up at 4.30 in the morning, uh, having to scrape the ice off the car in the, the dark at night, and then go off to work a, a pretty hard shift at the plant every day. And my, my mom you know, worked outside the home on a limited basis. Once me and my brother got older, uh, she worked in department stores. And, you know, they worked very, very hard to create an environment where we could be successful. And it worked in that me and my brother were both able to go to college. Uh, we, we went to great public schools in Buffalo, a school called City Honors. And, you know, I was able to go to Harvard on a, a scholarship uh, after 11th grade, and then I went to law school at Harvard as well and followed my dream to become a big-time lawyer here in New York City. And so look, the, re- the reason I'm running is because the state's been great to me, uh, and it's time to give something back. Uh, we had an environment where my, my dad could get study employment and a great job for 32 years, and there were good public schools, great public libraries that I spent a lot of time at with my mom. But those underpinnings are going away or in some cases are gone because we're, we have a government that chases jobs away. We have an attorney general in particular that chases jobs away, is hostile. And we have a public sector that is hopelessly corrupt. And look, I say hopelessly, but it's not hopelessly corrupt if you get a real attorney general in who's inclined to do something about it and who's independent enough not to kiss up to all the politicians running things. How has the attorney general's office uh, chased jobs away? Well, look, I mean, let's let's just look at all of the strong arming and settlements. We got this crazy law called the Martin Act, and, you know, it allows you to accuse companies of fraud, but you don't have to prove that, you know, the company intended to fraud anybody. You don't have to prove that anybody relied on what they said, and you don't have to prove any damages. So, you know, it basically is a statute that just allows the attorney general to twist the company's arm behind closed doors and, and threaten them with criminal liability and make them pay money. So, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, 
stuff if you're involved in investing and figuring out where to put your money if you know politicians who are trying to get headlines and move up to higher office can just basically stick you up you're not really eager to put more money back into that jurisdiction you're not eager to put more jobs back in that jurisdiction and so what we got to have is someone in that attorney general's office who's going to use the law to protect actual victims make sure that the the bad people and the bad companies out there have enforcement come down on them like a ton of bricks but leave everybody else alone you know and it's it's not about politically saying hey x industry is unpopular let's just talk about you know name your pick banks wall street hedge funds pharmaceutical companies and indicting whole industries it's about finding the instances where you have people in those industries doing harm enforcing against them and then leaving the rest of the folks alone to create jobs and, and create an better environment so that's the big distinction it's not about politically collecting trophies on a wall you know like you're in some kind of hunting club it's you know about really enforcing the law in a balanced way in a non-political way and in a non-partisan way so if you seem to reject this you know this notion this title of the sheriff of wall street um and this aggressive approach to the martin act that we saw really um popularized under elliot spitzer and was obviously a major topic of discussion in the democratic primary for attorney general are there certain laws or certain industries where you think it is important to take an aggressive approach or you're sort of saying you want to go in and reevaluate the whole way that the attorney general's office is is being run Uh, look uh you have to take an aggressive approach against the people who are doing wrong and harming people. You know, you don't just take an aggressive approach for the sake of being aggressive and swaggering around and collecting political points. That's the difference, right? You know, when you look at some of the, these enforcement actions in the past under the Martin Act, the proceeds didn't even go to the people who bought the securities that they said they were being defrauded about. So when you have that disconnect where you have officials not even getting the money to the people who they say were harmed, to the institutions they say were harmed, that makes you pretty skeptical that it's about anything other than them getting a headline and moving up. And so that's the thing we have to get away from, because remember, the defendants know, too, if they're getting stuck up, and then they're going to have to decide, hey, do we put more money in New York? Do we put more investment in New York? Do we put more jobs in New York? Or do we go to all these other states who are trying to take those jobs away from us? And by and large, what we've seen over the years is people in the business community and high quality, you know, high uh, impact individuals are deciding to move away from New York because they say they have no confidence in what's going on here. It's a combination of the hostility to business plus the unremitting, you know, unremitting corruption, right? They're, they're coming down like a ton of bricks on businesses with these flimsy laws. By the way, that virtually no other state has is something like the Martin Act. It's unprecedented. Uh, but they come down on the business community like a ton of bricks, and then the politicians are running wild with the taxpayers' money, can't get a subway built, you know, can't get a school built without spending a zillion dollars. You know, the MTA, you know, the corrupt MTA were building the pyramids, they wouldn't be built yet, right? And so people see this and they're just sick of it. So we've got to restore the focus to protecting the taxpayers' money, making sure the fox is not in the hen house on, you know, with these corrupt public officials with our tax money, and also make sure that we get the right judicious enforcement against the private sector. 
talk about corruption. You've mentioned that a couple of times. It obviously comes up a lot in this election year, in many election years, but particularly this one. What do you see as the role of the AG's office in policing corruption? And and do you feel it's a question of needing more power in that office or using the ones that are that are already there? You got to use the ones that are already there. I mean, it's the my my opponent does this big buck passing thing. It's classic Albany, right? Passing the buck to someone else, you know, of saying that she can't investigate corruption until until she gets permission from the governor and the legislature. You know, uh, guess what? The, the governor and legislature aren't giving her powers to investigate them anytime soon. Andrew Cuomo and company are not going to do that. I mean, the federal government has sent official after official after official to prison, and you know, putting them on, fitting them for orange jumpsuits. Now, if you think after all of that, they're suddenly those same, you know, crooked politicians in Albany are going to hand, you know, my my opponent the additional authority she says she needs to investigate corruption, whether it's in Albany or elsewhere in the state, like Bill de Blasio in New York. That's not going to happen. The good news is it doesn't happen to happen to investigate corruption. There are plenty of laws on the books. I mean, one of the things we can do is we can start investigating and looking at contracts that are potentially questionable before we sign them. You know, it's not just about putting people in jail. If we look at contracts, for example, like that Buffalo Billion per Cocoa contract, we knew when we signed the contract, then the state signed and the SUNY people signed the contract, that it was with one of the governor's big contributors. We should have a red flag list where we look and say, okay, who are we doing business with? Is there a reason we should be suspecting that it's not for the taxpayers and the public's interest, but because of the political interest of the politicians? You know, if we'd had that kind of screen, a red flag, we would have found that Buffalo Billion contract. We also would be looking at things like this this uh, Bitcoin approval for the Winklevoss twins. You know, they put in hundreds of thousands of dollars in Andrew Cuomo's campaign, and within a month, they get a Bitcoin license that everybody under the sun had been looking for. You know, nobody even seems to be looking at that. So we've got to start looking at not just saying contributors are bad politically, but where someone's putting a contribution in and then getting something out of the government, someone should be looking at, at that before we're signing uh, agreements, before we're granting licenses, and do those sorts of things to protect the taxpayers even before we get to trying to put people in jail. Because if we do it that way, we're going to end up much better off. You know, let's look at that revolving door with the MTA. You know, why does it cost six times to, to build a subway here or eight times or ten times than it does everywhere else? Well, maybe we should look at all the people coming out of the MTA into these private contractors and have a little conversation about, you know, why those people are coming out and what they're doing and are they basically, you know, turning state's evidence against the taxpayers? And if that's going on, which contract should we be looking at and avoiding potential problems? So there are all sorts of things you can do about corruption, but you got to have someone like me who's been out there for 20 plus years looking at complicated contracts, winning big, you know, multi-billion dollar lawsuits, knowing what things are real and what things are baloney. And you got to have someone not just with those abilities, but who isn't in the pocket of the cricket politicians or it needs to get along with them in order to move up. Because if you don't have those two things, you're never going to get to the bottom of this. So we're on WBAI radio with Keith Wofford, the Republican nominee for attorney general. We're going to take a couple of listener calls soon. If you'd like to ask Mr. Wofford a question, you can call in at 347 335 
1-800-522-1818. Before we get to any listener calls, though, I just want to follow up on something you said there. It seems like one of the issues you take with uh, how contracts have been given out uh, aligns with what Comptroller Tom Bonapoli and others have called for, which is a restoration of some of the uh, pr- pre-review of, of some of those SUNY-related contracts that were involved in the Buffalo Billion issues that led to some corruption convictions recently. But the other aspect here is this idea of um, the lack of pay-to-play laws that we have in New York. There's no restrictions on campaign donations for those with state business. Is that something you would favor as a preventative measure? Well, look, I, I think what you, what you have to do is look, first of all, at what's been done, right? You, you already have laws on the books that say you, you can't threaten people or withhold state business based on political contributions. So, you know, when you look at the municipal officer law, it's sitting right there plain as day. Um, and, and the public officer's law, it's sitting there plain as day. So, you know... You have to start looking at what we're doing, first and foremost. There are laws on the books. I mean, even the controller's office and the attorney general have a joint effort, Operation Integrity, which, again, is another thing that that all the people saying there aren't authorities, they're not talking about. So you have a large number of sources of authority. The executive law, the general business law, the parens patriae power uh, that's inherent in the attorney general's office since 1846, uh, you know, Operation Integrity, and even potentially the Martin Act, uh, because, you know, those agencies and authorities are sellers of securities, too. So there are a number of ways already on the books. I, I think you really just have to have a re-emphasis on looking and asking the right questions and making sure that you find the red flags and, and try to get ahead some of this before it gets to be a problem. We have a call. Uh, so welcome to WBAI. You're on the line with Keith Wofford, Republican for Attorney General. Who are you and what's your question? Uh, my name is uh, Vince Ferry. I live in Orange County, New York. Um, every time I hear a, 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 someone talk about uh, being careful uh, regarding businesses, I know they're a pro-business type of uh, lawyer. The fact is that there's another another person running for office, and that's Michael H. Sussman, uh, who has years and years of experience. Do you have a question for Mr. Wofford? The radio station should be asking Michael H. Sussman to come and talk, too. We are going to do that, but do you have a question for Mr. Wofford? No, I really don't. Okay, okay. Thank you, caller. Thank you. We'll get back to uh, Mr. Wofford in a second. Uh, I will point out to our caller that at Gotham Gazette, we just published a a feature article on uh, Michael Sussman, who's the Green Party candidate for Attorney General, and we're going to be inviting him onto the show soon. Anyway, uh, Mr. Wofford... Talk a little bit more about um, are there any are there any particular legislative proposals or changes to the authority of the attorney general that that you're putting forward in this campaign? Any sort of big ideas or or plans that you want people to know about? Or is it your contention that it's much more about, um, you know, utilizing the office in a very different way than it has been recently? There are so many priorities. Let me let me let me start with um, one more thing on business, which is we we'd like to when when we're elected open up a small business uh, liaison or, or assistance office within the Attorney General's office, Economic Justice Bureau. It, we're far past time with all the overlapping and duplicative authorities and agencies within the state and regulatory bodies within the state to have some way that medium-sized and small businesses can try to have one-stop shopping and, and 
be able to get their affairs in line in terms of dealing with the state legally without having to hire armies of lawyers. I mean, these it's not all about big corporations with huge compliance departments who can afford to deal with all the regulations and different agencies and different rules out there. And we, I feel like the attorney general, it's long overdue that there's someone in the state government who's on their side so they can focus on growing jobs and growing business rather than focusing on paying lawyers and which lawyers to hire. Uh, second, we got to deal with this opioid crisis. It's a human tragedy. It's, it, it's also secondarily and much less an economic tragedy. Uh, and it's a huge problem for our government and that we have first responders and law enforcement that's trying to grapple with it. Uh, the Attorney General's office needs to be more active, whether it's through using the organized crime task force, as I suggest, with respect to heroin and fentanyl dealing, whether it's with respect to continued civil enforcement against drug manufacturers that cross the line. Uh, we would take some of the money from you know litigation with, with those actors and use it to help law enforcement and first responders who are dealing with the crisis, and also to, to help provide more treatment options for families and victims of substance abuse. Uh, because when you have those moments of lucidity, you know, for, for people who are suffering from abuse, you know, it would be much, much better for us all if we had treatment options available. And of course, you know, there should be education. So the Attorney General's office should be much more active on the opioid crisis. Uh, so small business, the opioid crisis, and of course, criminal justice reform. Uh, we have our own ideas about criminal justice reform. The situation we have in this state around the speedy trial is deplorable. We have, uh, again, a virtually unique and bad speedy trial law that doesn't actually ensure a speedy trial. And we've heard some of the ghastly consequences of people who haven't been convicted of crimes being held for years. Uh, we have an affirmative proposal on reform of speedy trial that we, we think that if there's a bipartisan dialogue on it, uh, together with discovery reform in criminal cases, we can both maintain public safety and maintain a, an outcome that the, the DAs and the cops and the people protecting our safety can support, but also get rid of this, what is currently an unconstitutional situation, in my view, around speedy trial of people who are accused of crimes and haven't had a chance to defend themselves. One thing that the Democrats who are running for the nomination for the Attorney General's office talked about a lot was President Trump and the role of the office in defending the state uh, against policies of his that they disagreed with and also investigating the president and some of his business entanglements here. Do you see the office as having a role vis-a-vis uh, -vis one or the other of those goals? We absolutely have to make sure that we protect the state's prerogatives. The state is an independent sovereign. You know, we, we talk about the Bill of Rights, and the Tenth Amendment, which is part of the Bill of Rights, says that, that states' powers that aren't explicitly in the federal government are reserved to the states. And so the state and its taxpayers do have prerogatives to protect. And where we have a legitimate disagreement with federal government policies, and there's a suit to be brought to protect the citizens of this state and the state's prerogatives, I'm all for bringing that and prosecuting it jealous, zealously, not jealously, <laughs> zealously. Is there anything uh, on behalf of, on behalf on behalf of the citizens of the state? Is there anything that you've seen under either Attorney General Schneiderman or Attorney General Underwood over the last few years um, with uh, relation to federal uh, policies, where there's been a lot of pushback from New York? Is there anything you've seen that you agree with, or anything you've seen that you disagree with in terms of those actions? You know, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, again, I, I 
call balls and strikes, and it's not a partisan thing at all. Uh, the census litigation that's going forward, where there's a disagreement between the state and the federal government about how the next census is going to be conducted, is something that I believe is important for the state, and I actually agree with the state's position and, and not the current federal government position, because the first and foremost, my belief, and this is not going to sound very, very complicated, the first and the most important thing of the census to actually count people. And if you have a census that's designed in a way that's not going to result in you counting people, that's not correct and it's not right. And it's going to cost New York because if we undercount people who are here in the state, and be clear, the, the, the Constitution says count people, not necessarily count citizens. If you undercount the people in New York, we lose congressional representation, we lose federal funding, and that impact endures for a decade. So on, on that one, I actually do agree that, that that's a classic I, ideal or a classic example of the kind of prerogative that the attorney general should be pursuing on behalf of sticking up for the citizens of the state and sticking up for the state itself. One thing that your opponent, uh, Letitia James, the New York City public advocate, has raised in this race is whether or not you're going to release your tax returns, as many candidates do. Is that something that you plan to do? Well, first of all, let's let's just start with the fact that that you know there's a little bit of hypocrisy for my opponent here because you know when she was running for office years ago, you know she didn't release her tax returns or at least resisted releasing her tax returns until she got called out for it at the first debate. So, so you know the difference is when the tax returns go before periods of when people were working on the government payroll, they they tend to be much more reticent about releasing them. That said, True. I'm going to release some returns and we're going to work out the details. I mean, I, I tell, tell you, it also is important that, you know, my opponent, you know, finally came around to releasing her returns that time when there was a debate. And one thing we haven't had yet are, are our debates. Uh, we've accepted a couple of invitations, and I think it's very important, given the stakes in this race, that the people see and have a chance to compare what, what's being offered by each of the candidates. Uh, but no, we're, we're going to release some returns. And, you know, I, I, I think that's fine for people to see what's going on. There's nothing there's nothing particularly interesting, but just to make sure that that everybody's comfortable, we're going to we're going to get some numbers out there probably probably sometime in the next couple of weeks. And uh, I was just going to ask you to be a little bit more specific, but I guess you gave us a time window there on a couple of weeks on the debates. Uh, is that you're calling for? Is it five debates around the state? I mean, that's probably unrealistic to think that James will agree to that many. But is that that's what you're calling for? And and perhaps you'll agree to a couple. Yeah, look, I, I will tell you, we're calling for five because, you know, the the rest of the state, meaning outside of the New York metro area, has been historically neglected. And it really is appropriate that people around the state have a, an opportunity to see the candidates in such an important election in a form that focuses on the issues that, that they think are important. And so, look, I don't think it's unrealistic. I mean, it's, it doesn't take that much time to do Uh you know, this is someone who's been in public life for a long time and is not shy around a microphone, uh, nor am I. So I, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal to do it at all. But we'll, we'll obviously make sure that there is as much disclosure uh, in terms of debate transparency as we can get the other side to agree to. Well, Keith Wofford, Republican for Attorney General, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. It's been great. Thanks we'll be a lot. right back. 
And we're back on Max and Murphy on WBAI 99.5, listener-sponsored, non-commercial radio coming to you from Brooklyn. We just heard from Keith Wofford, the Republican running for attorney general. And Ben, it's an interesting office because people get to put so much of their own stamp on it. And I think that uh, while we take the, the, the sentiment of the caller who asked us to talk about third-party <laughs> candidates to heart and something we definitely have planned on doing, there obviously are real differences between how the Democrat and Republican approach this office. Tish James wants to fight against Donald Trump and go after big businesses uh, with some some zealousness. And uh, Keith Wofford wants to roll back on the use of the Martin Act and make the Attorney General's office into a sort of help center for for small firms. Yeah, he sounds very interesting. He focused on making New York a more business friendly state. Interesting platform, obviously up to voters, which is more appealing. But, um, you know, that's that's clearly his his belief. And he thinks that the past few attorney generals, attorneys general have been too hard on Wall Street firms, it seems like, and and sort of abusing the Martin Act. So that was interesting to hear him raise questions about that. Also interesting to hear him talk about an effort to improve the speediness of trials in New York. There's obviously major problems around that, among other criminal justice issues that that candidates are calling for. So there's an area of seeming agreement across party lines. But this is a race, as you noted, where the candidates have very different visions for the role. There's also the issue where it sounds like if you think that Andrew Cuomo will continue to be governor in for another term, that Keith Wofford as attorney general would, of course, Be a little bit tougher on his practices and calling out things that he disagrees with, or even corruption in state government, than someone of the same party. uh, Which there's been all sorts of questions raised around whether Tish James would be uh, a tough enough and an independent enough voice, not just with Governor Cuomo, but with also with a Democratic-dominated state legislature, if that's the case in the in the new year. We try as hard as we can, obviously, not to evaluate candidates based on their financial performance, uh, because that's certainly not the only indicator of whether someone's worth talking about. But it is worth noting that unlike the Molinaro Cuomo race, the finances in this race are a little closer. Wofford's done well raising money. Um, he may be able to raise uh, to, to mount a more viable race down the stretch. But this question of debates comes up again in this, you know, helter skelter way we do it in the state where whether there will be a debate or not, whether there'll be five or not, who's on stage is all totally up for the up in the air with four weeks to go. It, it's another reminder, I've mentioned this before in the show, how that it is quite nice how part of the New York City campaign finance law is this requirement that if you're receiving public funds and there's, you know, there's there's certain details that are up to the campaign finance board and such, but that there are requirements to participate in debates. And we saw Mayor de Blasio have to engage in both primary and general election debates. And it was just a given. Mm-hmm. We didn't really have to wait to see, will the mayor agree to a debate, even though he's the front runner? And we have to we've had to do that with Governor Cuomo in the it- primary and now the general. And even on the federal level where there is no public financing of president, well, there is public finance, but it's not, it's not contingent on the debates. The commission on presidential debates has the participation of both parties and it's just, it's going to happen every four years and there's a format and, and it occurs. So yeah, yeah so, it, it's a real uh, problem in New York and, and something really worth examining and, and everybody should be putting pressure on the democratic front runners in the different races to debate. You have to think like he has done in the past two cycles that 
that Governor Cuomo will agree to at least one debate with his opponents. You would just have to think that Tish James will agree to at least one debate in the AG race. Uh, yesterday, I actually moderated a debate in the controller race among the four candidates for state controller. And my understanding is that Democrat Tom DiNapoli has agreed to do even a second. So he's at least, I believe, agreed to do two. So if you're planning a debate and you want a moderator, Ben Max <laughs> is here. He's, I, I, I'll do his booking and I'm willing to sing the national anthem at any such event.